very different player. Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers to Statistics and Sports Podcast. I am among your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I'm the rest of your hosts, Corwin Heller. And these parts make one, or I guess two, two complete hosts. Anyway, uh, welcome to the show this week. Um, It's been a busy time in the world of NFL football. Uh, A quieter, but uh, I don't know, relatively heating up time in the world of baseball. Uh, We'll get into each as well as a brief recap of the NFL playoff games from last week and a look forward to the um, championship games coming up next week. Jesus Christ, can I think of the words? Uh, (laughs) You're on this podcast, so no. Oh, God, no. And it gets worse every week and we've only been doing this longer and longer. Uh, Corwin, are you ready to get started? Yes. All right, uh, then let's let's try to knock these out um, a little bit more quickly. Uh, just I know we for, I forgot to say that we should do this. Well, we were chatting before the show, but let's uh, let's just do it now. Uh, let's let's do a recap of the the divisional round that we just went through in the NFL. Take a peek at the championship round and make some predictions. Um, sound good to you? Sure. All right. Um, yeah. Again, sorry, I totally forgot we had to do this. Uh, yeah. Anyway, totally forgot to. Yep. <laughs> oh, we didn't prepare very well. Uh, okay. What else is new? All right, let's start on Saturday. Saturday, January 16th. In the early game, we had the Los Angeles Rams heading over to the Green Bay Packers. If I recall our conversation from last week correctly, I said this would be a non-competitive game. You thought this would be a little bit closer than I made it out to be, but I think in the end, we both picked the Packers. Um, Corwin, what was your impression of this game? Um, man, Aaron Rodgers, give him the MVP. He deserves it. You know, it wasn't the the prettiest game, but at the same time, you know, Green Bay is looking like the favorite in the NFC, like they have been this whole time. And they're seriously looking like, you know, especially with the certain injuries to certain players at certain other games this weekend, no spoilers. Um, I, I honestly think they're the all around favorite. Yeah, I mean they looked unfucking beatable. I mean it was it was a great game um by the Packers all the way around. Uh Aaron Rodgers himself, the man, went 23 for 36, 296 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, no sacks, a quarterback rating of 108.1. Jared Goff did have a much better outing than I was expecting. Um he went 21 for 27, 174 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions, but he got sacked four times. Um, however, he still managed to turn that around into a um, 105.9 passer rating. I'd also like to point out that Aaron Rodgers had four rushing attempts for negative three yards and a touchdown. And that is a delightful stat line. Yes. Um, I will say, you know, Jared Goff definitely looked better. Or at least he looked efficient. You know, he was making smart throws. But my goodness, it was... It was not close to uh, to a dominant quarterback performance. It just felt like everything was kind of just dumped down low, and and that was that. Um, at the same time, that's been effective for them for a while, so I can't really nitpick too much. It's just also happening to watch Aaron Rodgers, who 
couple more deep balls throughout that game, a little bit better uh, efficiency. Yeah, well, this Aaron the... Rodgers. It's just hard to compare him to a guy like Jared Goff and and not just swoon. I I know. Um, yeah, the the Jared Goff performance very much so feels like a style of game we would have gotten out of. And pardon the comparison, Drew Brees for the past like last two or three years. There was a lot of shorter passes where you kind of bank on the yards after completion and kind of game manage it up front and just make sure that you have a good high completion percent. Um, however, because if you look at uh, the, the intended air yards for uh, Aaron Rodgers, 9.2 intended air yards per pass attempt, Jared Goff, 5.3. So in theory, I would imagine anyway, part of the game plan would be to bank on the yards after completion to kind of carry what you're not getting on the air yards. However, that didn't really bank out um, since Green Bay's defense did a pretty nice job containing all things considered, allowing only 2.5 yards um, uh, after completion per per completion um, for a total of 52 yards were for after the catch. That's it. 52 wow. yards after the catch. For comparison, um, Green Bay, 149 yards after the catch. Mm-hmm. Tri- like a fucking triple. Um, because if you look at Jared Goff's you know, quote-unquote advanced stats, um, zero bad throws. Um, he, he only suffered two drops. Um, he, he did so on um, uh, 20, oh, geez, 25% pressure. That's not great. Uh, but regardless, you know, he's got six yards per scramble. Um, this isn't the worst performance from him personally, but this also was not the performance that was going to turn the tide in this game. Right. And, you know, it's unfortunate for the Rams because they played, you know, a great game, but hey, Green Bay's better. They moved on. Devontae Adams had his due. Alan Lazard stepped up. It was a good game all around Packers offense. Packers defense did pretty good, but you know they yeah they offenses, they they did what they needed to do. Yep. Yeah. Uh, quiet game from Aaron Donald, who finished the game with one combined tackle and one assist tackle, and that's it. Tough, but you know Green Bay has one hell of an offensive line. That and um, very likely playing in hurt. So yeah, is what it is. All right, let's turn our attention over to the. Uh, afternoon game or night game on Saturday, Buffalo um, against Baltimore. Uh, this was a weird game, um, very much so a defensive slugfest combined with a missed field goal uh, bonanza as the Bills won 17-3 to on the back of a game. I don't know if I enjoyed watching or not. Um, I didn't. Uh, I did because of the outcome. But as far as actual football, no. Yeah, it was entertaining to see both teams kind of duke it out a bit. But I maintain that while defensive slugfests can be fun, it's never as fun as seeing points on the board. And going into the half tied 3-3 really sucks. Um, It's just not fun. Um, Mm and. As much as I'm going to attribute a lot of this to good defensive play, as I think a lot of it gets uh, due credit for that, uh, especially Buffalo's defense pr- defensive performance here, there was some bad QB play here as well. Um, Lamar Jackson ended up going ended up going 14 for 24, uh, 162 yards, no passing touchdowns, 
one interception, got sacked three times, uh, good for a quarterback rating of 61.5. Tyler Huntley, six for 13, 60 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, one sack, a quarterback rating of 59.8. And on the other side, Josh Allen, 23 for 37, uh, only 206 yards, one touchdown, two sacks, a quarterback rating of 86.1. So really no dominant performances when it comes to the passing game. The rushing game doesn't really look much different. The lead rusher in the entire game was a tie between J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards with 42 yards. Um, great game for Stefan Diggs, who was the only receiver to finish over 100 yards receiving, but that's it. This was a defensive game. You know, I will pat myself on the back for calling that out last week when we talked about this. Um, I mean, this game came down to one singular play. You know, uh, Ravens are driving the ball at the end zone, throws a 101 yard interception return for a touchdown. It's just that singular play changed the outcome of the game. And it, uh, just what else can you say on top of that? Ah, uh, man. Um, it's a shame because like you hate seeing games just come down to one singular event. That's the whole reason you play for 60 minutes. It's, you know, the sample size argument we have with baseball all the time, but you can definitively say in this case, it was a singular play that decided this game. I'm sure there were plenty other opportunities, plenty other mistakes that added up to a fair chunk of it, but you change one singular play that didn't happen to be, you know, a score to win essentially and the whole game is different. Yeah. Yeah, I I I'm really think that's it. Um you know, there, there's other stats that I think paint a, a good picture of why this game was so quiet overall. Obviously, the ultimate outcome is what Corbin just said. If um, Lamar Jackson doesn't throw that red zone interception, which I think Corbin, you said was his first red zone interception ever. Mm-hmm. He was 45-0 and coming into this game in the red zone. 45 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Fucking nuts. Um, mm-hmm. So I... You know, if you, if you if you take that, because literally, if if you just trade those points over, which I know you know you can't do, blah 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 blah. Um, you, you throw those seven points from Buffalo's column, getting them on the pick six into the Ravens column. This game, this game's still tied. Maybe we're still playing it today. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I mean, you take away seven points there, give the Ravens stop a the count, and that's still you know a one score game with the momentum change not nearly affecting this as much as it did. The Ravens just need to find eight points, which is one more than they have. Um, <laughs> uh, well, at that any, point, they they would only need to find four. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, bitches. This is wild, though. I do want to just share it. Because, again, if I recall correctly from our conversation on the looking forward to this game last week, um, I think we both picked Buffalo, and I think we both said it would probably be largely on the back of a Josh Allen performance. Um, Josh Allen not having a great game, um, which is super wild. So he intended uh, 10.1 intended air yards per pass attempt. He completed 4.7, less than half. Um, That math doesn't work out too great. No. Throw that out there. 
that's uh, that's completed air yards per completion. Uh, his completed air yards per pass attempt was 2.9, but that number is obviously going to be lower because larger right. sample size. Um, and uh, granted, he he definitely got picked up a lot more for the yards after completion than um, the Ravens did. But he also had a higher drop pass percent than Lamar Jackson. He had the highest bad throw percent in the game at 22.9. Um, that's, a, that's a very high number. Yeah. Actually, all three quarterbacks high. finished. Sorry, he had the second highest. Ta- technically, Tyler Huntley, 23.1, just edges him out. Um, and he had the lowest person. yards yards from a per scramble in the game with four yards per. Oh, he only scrambled one time. Doesn't matter then. Um, but this is this is like he intended 372 yards, which is more than double Lamar Jack what Lamar Jackson intended, and more than triple what uh, Tyler Huntley intended. And uh, only came away with three more yards than Lamar Jackson did at the end of the day. That's in the air, I should say. In the air. That's wild. It's just how the game works out, man. The Bills shut them down deep. The Ravens shut them down deep. You know, both teams have excellent cornerbacks. Again, that's, you know, what we talked about last week. And it, it happened probably for the first time where our prediction, or at least what we talked about, came true and uh it's weird it's a weird feeling being able to say you know a thing or two about football it's a new new saying for me it's a, yeah it's a new feeling i do want to move on from this but i also want to share you this one other statistical anomaly that i'm, I'm enjoying which sure. is that lamar jackson had um 6.7 intended air yards per pass attempt mm-hmm. and had 7.5 completed air yards uh per completion Okay. So he he completed 0.8 more yards in the air than he intended. Granted, again, completions is a uh, smaller sample size than attempts, but I still think that's the first time I've actually seen that since we've been looking at the advanced passing stats where um, where any of the the numbers following intended is larger than the intended. Um, That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I just um, I I don't have the brain function right now to really comprehend and wrap my head around that, so I'm just going to choose not to. Yeah, we don't need to. Let's move on to a game I think we we both enjoyed a lot more: Kansas City, Cleveland, oh. um, in which those Kansas City Chiefs stomped on Cleveland's balls, uh, twenty-two to seventeen. I mean that metaphorically, in that the Browns, uh, Browns fans, I think had a lot of hope and. Uh, the factory of sadness once again re-earned its name. Um, uh, this game was a lot lower scoring than I think either one of us would have said it would have been. Um, well, tell me, there tell me your take There were some events that took place over the course of this game that caused the score to drop down a bit. Um, obviously, you know, the big storyline here is Patrick Mahomes, you know, his concussion and really getting shaken up uh, to the point where it really, I don't want to say sparked because I, I don't think it's the right word, but allowed for Cleveland Browns comeback and kind of gave them, you know, that motivation to say, hey, we have a window here. We can fight back and fell short, you know, Baker Mayfield was Baker Mayfield. That's kind of 
how it happens sometimes, but uh, at the end of the day, it's it's a shame that we didn't get to see the full Kansas City team close out this game. It's even scarier thinking we might not see Patrick Mahomes the rest of the season. Obviously, the you know all of our thoughts are with him and his health. Um, but I'm surprised you know Cleveland was able to stick with it as well as they did, uh, especially late game. Um, but yeah, uh, otherwise it was uh, a very enjoyable game at the very least. Chad Henney, you're a psychopath and I love it. <laughs> yeah, that head first diving run was the act of a sheer madman and I loved it. Um, gunslinger throws, just whew, insane. Yeah, this was this was a wild game. Uh, so Baker Mayfield, 23 for 37, 204 yards, uh, one touchdown, one interception, one sack. Good for a uh, quarterback rating of 74.6. Patrick Mahomes, 21 for 30, 255 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions, no sacks, a quarterback rating of 106.9. Uh, and Chad Henney, 6 for 8, 66 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. That was a fucking oh, heartbreaker. I'm, um, I'm and- looking at his passing chart right now, which shows, you know, from 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage to. 50 yards um, down the field. And that interception almost doesn't come up. (laughs) It's just like a little red dot just before the top of the chart. And holy shit. It was magnificent. Yeah. Um, Sorry, just to cap it out, uh, quarterback rating of 59.4. Yeah. Um, One other fun fact. um, Cleveland returned two kicks and no punts. And uh, Kansas City returned no kicks and one punt. So there you go. Uh, hey, look at that. Look at that. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, if you're a Cleveland fan, I think obviously it hurts to have the loss, but I don't think you're that beat up about it um, because your team mm-hmm. played well. Obviously, you wanted probably more out of Baker and you got fucked on that helmet-to-helmet non-call. Um, but by and large, I'd say that your team did well. Nick Chubb was a little bit slow starting there. Um, but I, I think you got a lot to, to be happy about Kansas city. Obviously, you know, you hope Mahomes comes back, but otherwise, you know, you had a over a hundred yard performance from Tyreek Hill and over a hundred yard performance from Travis Kelsey. You had a very near hundred yard performance from Darrell Williams, like, there's a lot to there's a lot to be happy about if you're a Kansas City fan, but um, if I'm a Browns fan, I'm 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 feeling good about my ability to be back here next year. Mm-hmm. Oh well, I mean you have Pat Mahomes, so obviously you feel that every year. Um, no, the Browns. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that makes much more sense. Yeah, it must suck to go through this as a Browns fan. You know, your first time going to the playoffs in possibly your entire life. Uh, the first time yeah. you win a playoff game and you're really showing a chance to win against the number one team in the league, you know, despite losing their quarterback. But that's something that just doesn't happen every day, especially not in Cleveland. And losing in the heartbreaking fashion they did where they gave that hope and just ripped, ripped it right back. Um you got to have some hope for next year. Obviously, you know, the team is for the most part coming back as a whole. 
Baker has kind of shown a little bit more of that franchise quarterback moxie that he's had as a rookie. Um, but at the same time, I feel like it probably wasn't as difficult to see because you're a Browns fan. And at the very least, you have experience dealing with these kinds of emotions. Yeah, losing uh, as, a, as a fan of a bad team who made it to two AFC championship games in back-to-back seasons, uh, losing in the AFC, losing in the playoffs is a significantly better feeling than not making the playoffs. It is a significantly better feeling. Um, so, Unless it's an overtime to Tim Tebow throwing a, a crossing pass to Demarius Thomas in the wild card round. After well, no, your, your real problem there was losing to Tim Tebow. That's just embarrassing. <laughs> no, um, no, we didn't lose to Tim Tebow. We lost to God. Yes, I said that. You lost to Tim Tebow. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, all right, so let's take it, all, let's take it over to, uh, to the final game, the Sunday night game. Uh, Saints-Buccaneers. The old man bowl, the uh, the the what's another the the figgy pudding bowl. I don't know what old people do. Oh man! Uh, uh, Tampa Bay ends up coming out on top of New Orleans, thirty to twenty. Uh, Tom Brady doing it all. Uh, Drew Brees not doing anything well. Uh, Brady coming out of this game, eighteen for thirty three, one hundred ninety nine yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, one sack, a ninety two point nine quarterback rating. Uh, Drew Brees, 19 for 34, 134 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions, no sacks for a 38.1 quarterback rating. And the only other person to throw a pass attempt in uh, uh, New Orleans was Jameis Winston, who threw a single 56-yard touchdown pass, uh, good for a 158.3 quarterback rating, the max. and I say that because it is genuinely astonishing that they didn't pull Drew Brees at some point. Um, and I say this is a pretty big fan of Drew Brees because at some point you 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 got to realize you, something's got to change. At some point you got to be like, look, man, look, Drew. You know this isn't about you. We're just trying to change things up and see if a uh, a change in pace of the offense can get us uh, some some something more going and. You know, if we think it's appropriate later on, we'll bring you back in. But right now, we're just trying to throw something at the wall to stay in this game. And they just didn't. And I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong, but it's real fucking weird in the modern NFL. I'm torn on what I would side with just because it's Drew Brees playing in possibly the last game of his career in New Orleans and pulling him and and having him finish out his career on the bench uh is depressing to me it you know it's a sad thought you know you, you hate to see a guy with his talent first ballot hall of famer top 4 quarterback of all time i just i couldn't I wouldn't want to see that be the final picture in like the storybook of his career. At the same time, the way you've seen him play the past two years, the way he was playing Sunday night, the just 
mysterious effectiveness is of Taysom Hill, you know, when he had to play, I think it was week 17. Uh, it's tough to argue against pulling him. I get why you wouldn't necessarily want to trust Taysom Hill to win you a divisional playoff game against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. I get why you would think Taysom Hill might not be able to uh, be an effective quarterback against the Buccaneers in the first place. I, it's just, man, it's hard to be worse than Drew was. I mean, yeah, but, but 38 uh, quarterback rating is pretty fucking ugly. Uh, and honestly, this this might be bold to say, I probably would have played Jameis. Um, oh, I absolutely would have too. But it's the Saints we're talking about who have a love right. affair with Taysom Hill. You're you're right. They do. It's weird. Um, and I now I will say a good chunk of what I think happened here is Drew Brees and the Saints not getting the yards after completion they're most used to. Um, there's also the fact that Michael Thomas got absolutely shut the fuck up um, in a way that we just do not see that happen. Michael Thomas finished the day with four targets and zero receptions. That's wild. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Drew Brees only got 3.3 yards after the catch, and that's for based on the past several seasons of Saints football, that's kind of been their bread and butter. Uh, mm-hmm. that that's where they've gotten their damage done. And because the, uh, their receivers were getting contacted so quickly, you know, they, they weren't able to pick up the yards after the, after, uh, after the catch. And because they drew Brees, isn't a deep ball quarterback at this point in his career, they weren't able to really get the ball farther downfield. Hence the three interceptions. It was just rock meeting hard place. I, I mean, Drew can't force the ball downfield. He's throwing picks. We can't do short field stuff because we're getting hit the second we we make the catch, and then nothing happened. Like that. That's yeah, that's, that, that's it. what happens when you have an ineffective quarterback who can't push the ball downfield. Your team becomes very one dimensional. You know, as great as Alvin Kamara is, he he can't do everything against such a a good defensive team like new orleans and it's it's a tough way to go out but here we are you know it's it's something you gotta oh man it's tough it's a tough conversation because it's drew Brees. same thing same thing happened to peyton manning uh i'm hoping someday the same thing will happen to tom brady but at this point i can't i can't argue against him he he um, he's jerking straight from from the fucking tap, man. I don't even know what the fuck he's got going on. It's wild to watch. Maybe strawberries are fucking cancerous. Who knows? Uh, it's just crazy. I, I I have I don't even have an explanation. I don't want to have an explanation. I just want it to end, but it won't. Um, but for for reference, Drew Brees. Um, we only have the advanced passing stats going back the last three years on Pro Football Reference. So in 2018, 2019, and 2020, respectively, his yards after the catch per completion. 5.0, 5.3, and 5.4. Uh, his yards after the catch per completion in this game, 3.3. And that adds up. That adds up a lot. Yeah. Do you think Drew comes back next year? No, I don't. I don't either. I, honestly, I don't know what it, what it would be for. 
you know, he, he they the the Saints had the last two years, eh, three years to really push for that Super Bowl win, and just couldn't get to the game. And I think Drew's got to realize that while it was a worthwhile endeavor coming back uh, these past two seasons, because there was definitely still that opportunity, it's not getting any better. Any better? It, it, the the odds of them doing it are only going to get worse from here. And I think he's better off leaving with his career still looking really good. Like his last season, this one that just finished up, it's still not a bad season. It's still no. over a 70% completion percent. Uh, it, 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 you know, the yards are relatively in line with where he usually gets is like, you know, all, all the Drew Breezy stats look Drew Breezy. Um, I would end on that. I, I, oh man, if I'm Drew, I don't want to. I don't want to come out here and throw like a 50% completion. You got to get benched and then you retire halfway through the year. No, no, yeah, don't do it. It's, you know, the saints are built like a team that is complete in almost every area. Um, and when you have a prime or even, you know, back end drew Brees, that's, that's a phenomenal team. Like we've seen, you know, the saints have been the best team in the league over the past couple of years uh consistently and it just goes to show when you don't have a qb even with a complete team around him it's not enough and it's a shame that drew Brees has kind of regressed to this part but time is inevitable time is undefeated it's it has to happen at some point you know it's not just him it happens to every single player it's just again it sad because it's Drew Brees. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly it. Luckily, he can still hang his hat on the fact that he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Oh, without question. Yeah. All right, so so that is the four games that have happened. Um, I know we didn't talk about it much because we kind of got sidetracked on the Drew Brees thing, but uh, phenomenal performance from the Tampa Bay defense, um, which I'm sure will factor into uh, our discussion on the two games we have remaining before Super Bowl weekend. Um, starting uh, Sunday at 3 o'clock Eastern time, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers being hosted by the Green Bay Packers. Brady, uh, Rogers, first time meeting in the playoffs. Um, Corwin, what do, you, what do you think about this game? Oh man, it's going to be fun. You know, it's a it's a another tough offense defense matchup for the Packers offense, Bucks defense. Um you know, Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. I wish this happened 5 years ago. I wish it happened 10 years ago, but at the same time, it's still a a marquee matchup because Tom Brady is putting up a fight against time, putting up a serious fight. I'd say he's still winning. Uh, it should be exciting. You know, I'm hoping for another. Uh, I don't expect a shootout, but I do expect some really spectacular plays from both of them. Just, I think each of them has at least one or two spectacular throws deep. Or deep for Aaron Rodgers is different for deep from Tom Brady, from deep from Tom Brady, um, but deep to their own limitations. Yeah, I I am so interested and excited in seeing what this game entails. Um, as we just said, there wasn't 
too much deep ball threat in the Saints game to to try the um, Bucks secondary so much. They are good. I'm not trying to say that they're some unknown quantity. They are good. Um, they just didn't get pressed that much in uh, as much in the Saints game. Um, so getting them up against Rodgers and um, also fucking uh, Devontae Adams will be a fascinating game. Um, God, I'm I'm so intrigued in that aspect of it. And just seeing how Tom holds up against what looked like a pretty competitive Green Bay front line. Um, yeah. Really giving, giving Goff the, the fucking business. Um, something that we didn't see much of in the Saints game. Uh, the Saints not really getting too much a hand on Brady. And uh, that is when all quarterbacks play their best. But Brady especially plays his best when he is unfucked with. Um, so it'll be interesting to, uh, I guess just to, just to see how, uh, each receiving core, I think really handles what they're going to be up against. Uh, the quarterback play, I think will of course be outrageous, um, and fun, but I think this game will be, uh, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to say this game is going to be one or lost based on the wide receivers, which I don't think is usually the case. But I think I think it will be for this game. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We will uh, see. Get, who do you think wins? Green Bay. How much? Seven. All right, all right. I I'll also take Green Bay. I'll take the under. I'll say three. I'll say this is a really weird, tight game the whole way. Um. Maybe it'll be a famous Rodgers comeback, or will it be a famous Brady comeback? Who knows who's storming down the field at the end? Um, All I know is that I do not want to be in the lead going into the final two minutes of this game. Unless you're leading by, like, 15. A lot. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. a lot. Oh man, I, I don't. I ugh, God, I'd hate to be. I'd hate to be a coach in in that moment. That's probably why we're not coaches. Um, you just see a the defensive coordinator having a fucking panic attack on the side. I mean, I w- think about I think about it. You, your options are either you know if you were to like pick a head coaching job or a defensive coordinator job, whatever, is to either deal with Aaron Rodgers <laughs> at the end of a game, which is always a nightmare. Or Tom Brady at the end of a game, who is always a nightmare. Like, these are the two guys who are, like, most famous for doing this. Oh, God, I'd hate it. I'd hate it. I'd hate it. Um, yeah. All right, so let's talk about the the second game, uh, the night game, the AFC Championship game, the Buffalo Bills as hosted by the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, where do you stand on this one? I mean, it comes down to who's behind center in Kansas City's locker room. Um, it's, it's, if it's Chad Henney, I don't think, uh, I don't think they have much of a chance. I mean, he had some good throws last week. He had a terrible throw last week. I just don't think it's necessarily enough to, to stop Josh Allen. And man, it just made me think of how dominant the Bills defense was last week against Lamar Jackson. Granted, very different play style. But Bill's defense against Chad Henney is a very different matchup. Yeah, I, you know, I think we'd like to say that Andy Reid could scheme his way out of a Chad Henney situation um, and make that game competitive. But with how great the 
Bills defense was against the Ravens. And generally speaking, how well Josh Allen's been playing this season, less so last week, but more so in general over the course of the year. Um, it'd be tough to call it anything. I'm not I'm not to say uh, I don't want to like be like, oh, the Buffalo Bills would walk away with that. Um, because Reed really is, I mean, that fucking good of a head coach. But and their defense is good. Kansas City yeah. has a great defense. Yeah, they do. Um, if Mahomes is playing, which is what it sounds like is going to happen based on the reports I have been seeing, um, I think this is, I hate to say it because I don't want to jinx it because I'm not rooting for Buffalo, <laughs> uh, but I think this is all but a Kansas City lock to uh, return to the superb owl. Um, but I, uh, I, I, I don't know which version of the bills is showing up because if it's the bills that just played the Ravens, that, that team was good. Not great. If it's the bills who played like the rest of the season, it's going to be a wild game. I'm just not sure which bills are showing up. And it's tough because the bills have been playing so much better. At the same time, the Chiefs have always been playing at a higher level than that. And, you know, I don't want to say it's a lock because there's so much that can go wrong. You know, there's so much parity. Any team can win any given Sunday. That is so unbelievably true. But, man, I would I would put the Chiefs as heavy, heavy favorites just because of how unbelievably good he is. I I know he is just a generational talent. And I really want to emphasize that this is not a hyperbole. This is not, you know, one of those, one of the two generational talents that come out of every draft. Like, no, this is truly a generational all time talent. And we do not need to remind anyone of that, but having him versus, uh, Chad Henney at quarterback is a wildly significant difference. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah it, it, it's literally immeasurable how big of a difference it is. Um, but all right, uh, final answer. We both picking the Chiefs on this one as well. Yeah. All right, so that's our picks for going into next week. Uh, both team Packers, both team Chiefs. Um, Let's uh, let's see how it shakes out. Uh, do you want to stay with football topics and keep it moving from there? Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, where do you want to Where do you want to go from here, my friend? Uh, let's talk confirmed hires. Ah, oh, all right. Bring it on, Mac. I've <laughs> misspelled his name in the chat and immediately corrected <laughs> myself, and I still fucked it up. Yeah. Dan Campbell. Uh, former interim coach for the Dolphins, uh, was the New Orleans State's assistant head coach and tight ends coach, has been hired by the Lions as their newest head coach. Um, I was wildly thrown off when I first saw this, thinking it was the former offensive line coach of the Dolphins who uh, got fired for doing all that coke and, and banging a prostitute. Um, but it's a different guy. He's the guy that took over after Joe Philbin was fired. I got very nervous when I first saw Dan Campbell's name pop up with the Lions because I immediately thought it was the former offensive line coach um, who was 
uh, fired for doing cocaine and banging that prostitute. But it wasn't. It was former tight ends coach for the Dolphins, former interim coach after Joe Philbin was fired. Joe Philbin went one and three, axed. Uh, Dan Campbell takes over, goes five and seven, which is a losing record. I'm aware of the math, but still a major improvement for a very bad Dolphins team. He leaves that year, becomes the assistant head coach and tight ends coach for the Saints. and just got snatched up by a team with a with a young tight end that could be very special. Um, I definitely did not see Dan Campbell being, you know, one of the top candidates this year in this cycle. I will say I am pleasantly surprised, very much shocked, but very pleasantly surprised as I looked over it. Um, you know, it happens every year where a coach gets hired just kind of out of the blue. And sometimes it works out really great. Sometimes it ends horribly. I think I would put money on Dan Campbell being a a fairly good head coach for the Lions for the next several years. Um, You know, being under the Sean Payton coaching tree, especially coming in as an assistant head coach, that's uh, a pretty big uh, piece to look at. Um, he did succeed with the Dolphins team that started one and three. Definitely not a good team that season. So I like this hire. You have any thoughts? Uh, not really. I I think that the Lions almost couldn't have done anything wrong here. Um, there's so many good candidates flooding the 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 pool of potential hires this year, um, and the guy that they'd be moving on from had basically no success at all. Nothing to write home about that. I think almost any of the guys whose names had been floating around out there probably would have been good outside of that weird Marvin Lewis, like rumor (laughs) for the jets. I don't know why his name was out there, but outside of Marvin Lewis, basically any of the candidates I think would have been interesting, different, literally not Matt Patricia. Um, and I think while that sounds petty, it matters like a lot. Oh yeah. Also, Absolutely. fuck Matt Patricia, but yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm with it. Perfect. I think this is a a pretty great uh, pretty great step for the Lions. I always hope that they can uh, can really come back and and do something with uh, that franchise because oh my god, it's infuriating. Um, but I'm all about it. So good on them. Yeah. Who else we got? Um, let's see. I guess we could talk Philip Rivers retiring. Probably should have led with Philip Rivers. This is kind of a big one. Uh, he officially announced his retirement, which it is a sad, sad day on that front. Um, he will be missed. Yeah, just to give a, a rundown of Philip Rivers' career, he spent, um. Of his 17-year-long career, uh, he spent uh, fucking, goddammit, fucking 13, Jesus Christ, 13 years of it in San Diego, uh, three years of it in Los Angeles, with both with the same team, just given the move, um, and his final season in Indianapolis with the Colts. Um, He finishes his career with 244 games played, 240 starts. Um, He went 134 wins to 106 losses. Um, 
He finishes with 5,277 completions, a completion percent lifetime of 64.9, 63,440 yards, 421 touchdowns, um, 209 interceptions, uh, an average yards per game of 260, and a lifetime quarterback rating of 900, sorry, 95.2. Philip Rivers led the league in various things over the course of his career, including uh, at one point in time, completions, attempts, completion percent, yards, touchdowns, touchdowns, percent, interceptions twice, yards per attempt, uh, five, sorry, three times, um, air net yards per attempt uh, twice, yards per completion once, yards per game once, quarterback rating once, uh, yards once, net yards per attempt twice, air net yards per attempt once. Uh, sack percent once and fourth quarter comebacks once. So he, he, a guy who was consistently up near the top of a lot of league rankings, in addition to being one of football's more specific personalities um, with his yeah. bizarro throwing motion and his many children. And beautiful trash talk. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be uh, super <sighs> weird to not have his Christian ass on out on the field doing weird shit he uh he uh hall of famer for you yeah yeah absolutely uh, i i know it's weird because he doesn't have really even any significant playoff um experience much less a um super bowl appearance but at the same time that's football is a team sport, man. And you know, that's a lot of that's just out of his fucking hands. He did his position very, very fucking well. Um, that's all he's supposed to do. So yeah, I mean he's a Hall of Famer for me. You I th- think he definitely should be. Um I'm sure people will really go out of their way to talk down on on his career because he didn't win a Super Bowl. He wasn't very successful in the playoffs. At the same time, that is not on him. Uh, and I, I, I don't think he'll be a first ballot, but I think he'll be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think that's fair. This is, this is an age-old question. We've seen it with a bunch of players before, but at the end of the day, any championship success is reflective upon the teams that they're on. Ted Williams never won a fucking World Series, man. I'm not trying to say Philip Rivers is Ted Williams because Ted Williams is much better at baseball than Philip Rivers was at football. Um, but the idea that Ted Williams never won, having won a World Series, didn't affect his ability to get into the playoffs or into the, the Hall of Fame because he's still one of the greatest baseball players of all time. While Philip Rivers probably isn't one of the best quarterbacks of all time, um, he was top five for like his entire career of guys who were actively playing. Um, and that's just so hard to do, especially since it's at the most important position on the fucking gridiron. So mm-hmm. I just I just don't know what more you could want. But you're well, right, it'll be a whole thing and yeah, you won't get first ballot. Yep. How would you describe uh, the Philip Rivers um throwing motion? Ooh, that is 
it is man it's not a sidearm it's just this really like like yes he swings his arm out every time he throws i can't you swing your arm out every time you throw but it's just like this goofy elongated motion that's just kind of cockeyed um it's weird and it was his biggest question mark coming out of college nc state um and it's one of those things where at no point did anyone say wow we should start evaluating quarterbacks differently because of how philip rivers has been able to do it it's just been man somehow he has made a way to get that to work consistently so sure it works we're never going to teach it but it works yeah it's 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 a really big motion that ends in like a weird almost like kind of push mm-hmm. and it comes from like like a three-quarter slot angle if you're familiar with like baseball arm slots, like Good it's terminology. it's <laughs> it's something that looks like it really shouldn't work. And then he played 17 years in the NFL. <laughs> right. Um it it's so uniquely rivers. Um like it looks like he's doing a Zach Grinky style shout every time he throws the ball. Because that's the only way to get it to go far. Oh, like, I love that. yeah, like it just—it's—it's it's a weird little motion he's got there. But yeah, it's gonna—he his his personality will definitely be missed heading into next year. But mm-hmm. I also think he picked a good time to kind of get out of the game. Yeah, we are—we're gonna have a very different league next year than we have this year. That yeah, for sure. I mean. Right now, uh, Philip Rivers and Eli Manning are now both gone. That just leaves Big Ben from that draft class. Uh, mm-hmm. Brady, while I know we keep saying he's on the way out, he has to be on the way out within the next two years, I'd imagine. We probably just saw the end of Philip River or of um, Drew Brees, mm-hmm. and so we're looking at that and that 2000 to 2004 draft class. This these these are the last holdouts, and then that's it. It's depending the on, it's yeah, depending on what, uh, what the Steelers want to do, we might we might see uh, the end of Big Ben this offseason, too. Who knows? <laughs> Shut up. Nope. <laughs> what else we got? Let's see. What do we have here? Uh, Trent Balky is the rumored favorite for the Jaguars' new GM. They are working towards a deal there, supposedly. Um. I I don't love that. Um, Tell me why. I do not know who this is. Trent Baalke was the former... Uh, I, I think he was the GM of the San Francisco 49ers. That was his official title and, and not anything like uh, player personnel. Um, and, God, I wish I remembered the the whole Harbaugh scandal and just that entire ownership group just it was a whole goddamn big storyline of just everything falling apart and bulky was definitely a centerpiece for that and i really just don't 
think he would be a good fit for this new look Jacksonville Jaguars. I think they are coming in doing a lot of really great things as um Oh my god, I completely lost my He did a lot of fucking good things. Holy shit. The Cons did a lot of good things this year. They hired a fantastic head coach in Urban Meyer. They got the number one overall pick to get a franchise-changing player in Trevor Lawrence. You need to bring in a GM with the positive track record, fresh face, fresh look, smart ideas to build this team. I know that's a whole lot of empty talk of, yeah, obviously you want to bring in a guy who's going to be good at the position. That's the whole point of what they're doing. That being said, his track record is just not what I would look for in this kind of hire. Um, suppose, so looking over his history, he just got hired this past season as the director of player personnel for the Jaguars. He was not in the NFL since 2016 before this past year. I, I am pessimistic about this uh about this hire i wonder why he's being considered though then do you think it's just a boys club thing I'd or do you think that think they so. buy in the do you think they really like buying into the vision here i really think so um i can't imagine a guy who hasn't been in the league for four years a guy who was just run out and universally hated in San Francisco. Um, you know, a, a guy that you bring in for one year as the director of player personnel, where I have to admit, wasn't a standout year for player personnel in the Jaguars uh, facility this year. Um, they had a good draft, by all means. I don't think you could solely put that on the number two guy in the front office after starting a few months, a month or two. You know, fired, hired in early February, draft is into April, so three months uh, before the draft. I'm not going to put much credit, if any, on him for that. And nothing else has stood out. And I just, there's nothing here to change my mind and change my opinion of him. That's basically all this rambling has come down to. Fair enough, man. Um, I, too, have decided to... I, too, have now decided to hate Trent Balky. So, convince one guy. CJ Henderson, Kayla Von Chason, LaVisca Chenault, Ben Barch in the fourth round, and a guy like James Robinson undrafted to be your starting running back moving forward? Got a lot of pieces here in this draft. That's a really great draft for Jacksonville after one year. But Trent Balky didn't do fucking anything. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. All right. Um, um, go ahead. Uh, Raheem Morris. I will skip this one for now just because I do not think it's substantial enough uh, for discussion right now. Fair enough. Um, this is still being chewed up in the rumor mill. Fair enough. So then we'll we'll hang on to that one. There, there's a, anything written not written down here that is confirmed news that's worth discussing or in the not NFL in football. 
Yeah. So Corbin and I had a chat before the show. There's a lot of rumor or dis- discussion anyway, uh, flying around about what uh, a Deshaun Watson trade to the Jets might look like since it's been heavily discussed and Richard Sherman is like openly advocating for it, which is super weird. The idea of free agents being pushed to the Jets. I say this as a lifelong Jets fan. It is very odd. Um, but that's a big discussion. That's a big discussion. Um, we'll save that for later. Um, <laughs> that's a big discussion. Um, anyway, so we'll save that for another time. Um, probably, probably Sunday. Just talk about trade value and draft pick value stuff we've talked about before, but it'll be especially important with this very real life example. Um, so hang on to your shirts. We'll get to it. Um, I guess that being said, shall we take a quick pivot over to, to the wild world of, of, of uh, baseball? Absolutely. All right. Uh, so oh George Springer signed a brand spanking new contract for six years, 150 bajillion dollars. Um, so George, unit? <laughs> no, it's, it's 150. Um, so George Springer officially is a longtime center fielder for the uh, Houston Astros, officially out of the organization um, and heading to Toronto. Wow. Which in of itself is, is, yeah, I had heard it rumored. I had heard more so the prospect of George Springer going to, um, uh, the Red Sox. I'd heard him, you know, what it would be like if George Springer went to the Yankees. Uh, what if George Springer? Um, I, I, I like him in Toronto because I think the Blue Jays are a very fun team. And while I do not enjoy George Springer because I think he's a dick, um, I, I am excited at the prospect of what that lineup will look like, even though my team has to face them. And that sounds not fun. Um, but I guess let's talk let's talk George Springer value here first since um well that's what we're looking at with with this contract. So 6 years, 150 million dollars that breaks down into a 25 million dollar AAV. Uh George Springer over the course of his career has been worth um I guess we'll start with his rookie year. Um has been worth 2 war, 4.2 war, 5.1, 5.0, 2.7 6.4 and 2.2 war in each of his respective seasons. Um, he's been playing at a premium position. He's got a career slash line of 270, 361, 495, good for an 852 OPS and a 131 OPS plus. Um, he also ranked in 2020, which was a shortened season, uh, but he's still ranked in the 92nd percentile and expected batting average, the 96th percentile in ex-WOBA, 81st percentile in barrel percent, 95th percentile in expected slugging, um, 68th in hard hit, uh, 82nd in sprint, you know, 78th percentile in strikeout percent. He's a really, really good fucking hitter. Um, and he plays yes. at a premium position. So, Corbin, what do you well. think about and he And he plays it well. Um He's been worth over his career 1.3 DWAR, which, again, the fact that the number is not negative is really what matters from that. Um, so, Corin, what do you think about this signing in terms of um, just value? 
For the first time possibly ever when discussing non-football contracts, I look at the $25 million price tag and think, that seems right. That seems right. You know, five years ago, I think he would have been pushing 35 if it was, you know, this year. But he's what, like 31, 32? Uh, Yeah, he'll be heading into his age 31 season. Okay. That's fair. You know, six years, 37-year-old center fielder is not going to be worth $25 million. 31-year-old George Springer probably isn't worth $25 million. He's probably worth more than that this year. That being said, it's the whole life of the contract, not this one day or one year. I think this is a a fair contract. I like this. Yeah, um, obviously the the term is significantly different, but if you compare this um, AAV to like what Bryce Harper got, where Bryce Harper gets, I think, 1.4, 1.5, something like that, million dollars more per year than George Springer is getting, um, but at a younger age and a less advantageous position or less significant position, however you want to phrase it, that's not rude. Um, right field is still hard. <laughs> um, but that, that I mean, that, that makes sense. You know, George Springer is a little bit older than Bryce Harper was when he hit free agency. And um, so that's going to ding him decently significantly. At the same time, George Springer is also still very good and plays a more valuable position. So that seems to all make total sense. Um, we did talk about the Blue Jays roster makeup earlier in the offseason um, as some of these free agency signings started to come off the board. Um, talk about how their outfield played very well last year uh, in terms of, of batting. So it looks like George Springer will likely probably replace Randall Grichik in the lineup. Um, Quite the increase in talent there. Yeah, so Randall Grichik, who has seven seasons under his belt, the same amount as George Springer. Um, Randall Grichik only spending the... Huh? Sorry, I just had to get that in there. Uh, drafted before Mike Trout. Oh, that's a shame. I didn't know that. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> One pick before also to the Angels. So it, it kind of doesn't count, but at the same time, it, it does completely. It, it's, you know, it still, it definitely still does. Um, anyway, Randall Grichick spent the, spending the last uh, three years in Toronto. Uh, over the course of his seven years in the MLB, he has been a negative 0.2 DWAR center fielder um, and provided 8.9 total OWAR. Um, that is in contrast to George Springer's um, 24.8 OR. Um, Randall Grichuk's lifetime slash on again. He had a he had a good season last year, a 114 OPS plus, but he outperformed his uh, career average OPS plus at 106. Um, whereas George Springer also outperformed his career OPS plus um, by hitting 140. Uh, his career average being 131. So even if both these guys regressed back to where they'd be, uh, George Springer is still 24 percentage points, sorry, 25 percentage points better uh, an average, better than average of a hitter uh, that Randall Grichik is and a better center fielder than Randall Grichik is. And that now from there, if you want to gamble on the success or failure of Randall Grichik, you can either start slotting him in at DH and get a little bit more flexibility um, in regards to how you want to play your bench roles, or you can fucking trade him and get some, like, pitching depth, because, wow, do they need that. 
um, yeah. in addition to maybe some third base help. So, uh, it's just, it, I, I like this. I like seeing Toronto, um, getting, kind of getting back into it. Um, they are not a small market team and they should not act like it. They are in the fourth largest population area in the, uh, in baseball. And I think the third, third or fifth, third to fifth, I forget where they rank, uh, largest media market in baseball. So they are not a small market team. They could spend just as much as the Dodgers and Yankees and Red Sox do. Um, and they should. And I'm glad to see them taking steps towards possibly doing that. I like it. Blue Jays always you- seem like kind of a black hole to have free agents go to. Uh, maybe it's just because it's Canada. But, uh, you know, in a vacuum, I like it. Uh, does this change your perception of George Springer? Uh, now that he's no. moving away from the Astros organization? I'm happy he's moving away, but it's not about to change my opinion on him. Agreed. Um, what do you think about... Oh, the other team I meant to mention in terms of teams that might have gotten George Springer was the Mets. Um, obviously, the Mets' new ownership has been spending a lot of money and talking about all the money that they would like to spend in other places. Um, there was a lot of talk of George Springer to the Mets conversations. Um, what do you think this, do you think this means anything for the Mets? No, there's some other Mets news that we did not write down as a topic of discussion that yeah, I know. probably should be a topic of discussion at some point. Yeah. Um, I figured we'd save it for the end, but yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll get there. Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think... I think a lot of Mets fans and mediaites who discuss baseball want to see a one-year turnaround for the Mets where they go from being um, the middling, not-so-great team that they've been since their World Series run. Um, But I also... And I think that that's partially on the back of everyone likes an underdog story, and the Mets are always the underdog story. Um, Everyone likes to see good ownership. Everyone loves to see good ownership that spends money and is engaged with the fans and all that shit. And so far, Steve Cohen's been that. Um, And they have the benefit of being not the Yankees while also being in New York. That helps. Um, (laughs) I would also like to point out, though, that it's never that easy with baseball. And while the NL East is definitely in a grabbable position right now. The Nationals are on the way down still, even coming off of a bad year last year. The Phillies never put it together. Uh, The Marlins are on the way up, but they're probably still not going to be well-positioned to take the divisions, while the Braves are still very good. Um, So if the Mets could make a big turnaround, then they certainly would be well-positioned to perhaps make some type of run at the divisional lead um, or division title. I would be very reluctant to say that's going to happen next year, though. Just because how many times have we said this about the Mets? How many times? And it's not, again, it's not even just on the back of the Mets. It's like the nature of baseball. What happens if if these guys just don't click together? What happens if it's another Robinson Cano situation where he was the best hitter on his old team and then came to the Mets and then for no reason just started sucking dick? Like, there, there's so much that could happen. Um... If I'm the Mets, I'm I'm if I'm a Mets fan, I should say, I'm very happy 
with all the money being spent um, because we are definitely building towards a future for maybe two years from now. I'm going to next season with literally zero expectations of doing well. I don't know how you can be a Mets fan and go into any season with expectations of doing well. (sighs) They keep doing it, man. I'm telling you, I Mets fans need to act more like Jets fans, which is wild because most Mets fans are Jets fans. Uh, well, a lot of Mets fans are Jets fans. And yet, Mets fans act way more optimistic than Jets fans do when it comes to their team. And maybe it's because the Mets have had better pieces than the Jets over the past five years. But both teams have been fucking dick. Like, But for whatever reason, Mets Twitter is way more energized about the Mets then Jets Twitter ever gets about the Jets. And get you got to get it through your thick fucking skulls that both these teams fucking suck, and they need to prove to you otherwise before you start jumping up and down screaming about how good they are. It's, it's, like, it's the exact same way I treated the Browns. The Browns were bad until they weren't bad, and they had to prove to you that they weren't bad. Because we got three off-seasons of this might be the Browns' year, and when the, which they followed by sucking dick until they actually got good. You got to give these teams time. Bad teams take time. Absolutely. The Steelers could turn things around in one year, which I know is a weird thing to say coming off of 11, 12 and four year, Uh, but we all know how it ended out. Um, They, they are, that's a good team still. That's just having a a rough time. The fucking chargers, not the chargers, the um, uh, Rams could, could turn things around in, in in one year. Um, The Browns couldn't, the Mets aren't. Give bad teams time. You got to figure their shit out. Is where you can turn a team around completely in a single season. They are not common. No, and a big part of that is 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 depth. We see it every year across sports. The biggest thing that makes a good great teams great is that their depth players are better than other teams' depth players. Because you know your favorite starting pitcher, he's going to get hurt. You know your favorite third baseman, that motherfucker's getting hurt too. You know your favorite left fielder? That guy's gonna miss like twenty games. That's just that's just fucking ball, man. That, that goes with every sport. And whether a team stays good or crumbles is gonna depend a lot upon whether you're playing a guy who's good to pick up the slack in the rotation, a guy that's gonna hit, you know, a decent a decent batting line for you over the course of twenty games. Versus a guy who's going to absolutely get shellacked on the mound once every five days. And a guy like Tyler Wade who's going to strike out every time he looks at the plate because he just can't figure out how to swing up major league pitching. That's the difference. That, that's what it's going to come down to. Because good teams are great teams are great on the margins. Very rarely are great teams great as an entire centerpiece. Sports are one on the margins. Yeah. Oh boy, that's my rant. I just—I don't think I'm ready for baseball to start up again. It's weird know. to process. It honestly yeah, is. Yeah, I just—I need more time. Football's still going on. Hockey just started. I can't jump into baseball right now. Pitchers and catchers report in like a month, which it surprises us every year. And then the lead up is always three times three feels three times as long because of it. Um. At some point, I'll get used to it, but not yet. Give yourself some time, man. Uh, shall we close out on the on the sad Mets news? Yes. 
Anything else to, to chit-chat about before we move on to this? No. All right. So it came out in the wee hours of the morning, I guess, uh, Wednesday. I think it was yesterday. Um, the Mets GM, Jared Porter, uh, had a story break about him in which it was revealed that he had harassed a female reporter, um, sent her somewhere in the neighborhood of 62 unanswered, um, desperate, needy text messages, uh, including uh, unsolicited dick pics. Um, And he has since been fired by the Mets. And this has once again raised the conversation of uh, women in sports, which for some reason that I... (laughs) continue to be fucking baffled by is even a goddamn conversation. Um, but it is because we see this a lot. Um, and it's especially, I think weird, not weird, uh, uncomfortable to see given the conversation so much like this, just without the dick pic that we had with that, um, Assistant GM in Houston, like two years ago. Remember that guy that also got fired for harassing female reporters? I do not remember his name. I don't remember his name. Well, his name ain't fucking worth remembering, but I don't remember his name either. Uh, And we had a whole conversation back then about this. And it's the same conversation with different source material with this. Uh, I think this has larger or at least more recognizable societal implications because the concept of sexting, I think is both wanted and unwanted is uh, very familiar to everyone. Um, whereas maybe some of the inter-office power dynamics might be a little bit harder to grapple with. Um, but they're both coming from the same place, which is here's a guy that got to a very high position in, a, in an MLB front office very fast. Um, who's a fucking scumbag and it feels like someone should have recognized that and nobody did and now the Mets are in a terrible spot and this is I'm sure awful for every female fan of the sport and woman who heard about this story in general and I'm I promise I'm going to let you say something in a second but I just can't imagine I can't imagine the position that a woman in sports has to be in where not only are you expected to do your job, but are we also going to expect women to have to police these people and to like, let us know who's bad because here we got two dudes who both got up to high end positions in front offices who are awful to women. And it went totally unknown because we like, didn't ask women about it. It's a crazy, crazy world. Yeah, all I really I'm gonna all that I am really going to say on it is uh it shouldn't have it shouldn't holy shit. Words are just running away from my brain right now. It's amazing how many sentences I've started and just have completely lost all recollection of what I was trying to say, not even ten percent in. Um there shouldn't be any tolerance for something like this. The fact that the NFL is a, a boys' club and always has been, 
um, has kind of built this this culture of of tolerance to this sort of behavior towards women. I refuse to accept anyone that argues otherwise, and it's up to the fans to push for it, and it's up to the people in the NFL, specifically the men in the NFL, at all levels to take that personal step and disavow this kind of behavior uh, in any form and in any capacity. It's This should be a zero-tolerance action. Um, and the fact that it's coming from someone so high up in the organization is appalling, considering how much was talked about his character and, and um, you know, his, his personality, uh, how good of a guy he was. Uh, just it's unacceptable and does not deserve another position in baseball does not deserve another position in sports and does not deserve any more time on this podcast. Yeah, uh, we're, we're going to avoid him because he doesn't really matter at this point. I know um, just a couple more thoughts. Sandy Alderson was asked, uh, I forget if it was, I forget by whom uh, he was asked. I want to say it was Mina Kimes, but I want to just throw her name out there for the sake of it. Uh, if he had interviewed or, or asked any any uh, women, any female coworkers about their perception of um, Jared Porter before hiring him, and Sandy Alderson responded, no. And uh, again, this can't be this can't be on the abused people's backs to have to answer for or to inform us. And that's to say that they shouldn't be forced to come forward and say, Hey, don't hire this fucking lunatic. Because life's not like we can't look at someone's resume and say, ah, yes, they are great at what they do. And just go about our day. Like looking at a baseball player slash line saying, Oh, that's a great slash line. He must be a great and then be shocked when the personality sucks and he's a bad guy. Performance doesn't equate to being a good guy. Well, there's mm-hmm. got to be more accountability up front. I really just... I It just fucking happened again where I just had this whole thing lined up and I was practicing the words and blah, blah, blah. blah. Here we are. Um... Fuck me up. This is unbelievable. This is going to fucking drive me insane. All right, I can't. That's okay, buddy. Um, this is exceedingly disappointing. Um, I don't even want to... Oh, it's... fuck. I don't want... I, I just brought it back from the realm of, of nothingness and that we call my brain. Uh, I'm just going to go. Go. I don't want this to be a crossover episode between this and juicing the big screen. Um, but I watched bombshell recently, which discusses a similar situation, uh, to a much more serious extent. Uh, basically, you know, the ground level being people in power doing bad things to women who don't deserve it in the name of, furthering their careers um and it's 
a very uh, poignant movie when it comes to discussing this topic. Uh, I just... This isn't something that is unique to sports. This is something that is occurring in every possible field that you can think of. Um, It's just a, a real damn shame that it seems like so many people are pushing to avoid reform and ref- and just prevent progress from being made and you really hate to see it when it's just so universally agreed upon that it's disgusting disgusting behavior yeah i i i would love to see the mlb be firm here and slap a lifetime ban on this guy uh, just to send a message, I know he already got fired and he's already probably persona non grata here, but really just like be out in front of it, make a story about it, um, and let, you know, let people have a, have a voice here. Let, let a lot of, let whatever women want to speak up, have, have the platform to do so by keeping this uh, conversation alive and by you doing the right things here, um, just because it's very, very likely that no one's going to hire this guy again, doesn't mean someone won't. You should put your foot down on it. And uh, if I'm the Mets, what I'm going to start doing is have a very, very transparent um, hiring process for my next GM, which they said will probably take place next season, um, next offseason, not this offseason, since we're so close to the start of the regular season, which I don't fully understand that because someone's got to be making trades, but whatever. Um, and, you know, no, no one's asking for you to hire a woman just for the sake of compensating for this mistake um but i would have an excruciatingly open and um transparent process for who you're hiring thorough background checks and maybe maybe open up the pool a little bit i'd love to see a black gm i can't think of the last time we had a black gm in baseball that seems fucking weird that there's not more black gms in baseball um anyway Side point. Um, there, there, there is room to make this a, a opportunity for inclusion, but they have to take it, and I hope that they do, because um, our game is the game of baseball, the game of football, all the sports we love and discuss in this podcast don't matter nearly as much without our female fans and our um, female employees of those teams and all the women who work in sports that make it run. It, Sports as we know it is not the same without literally half the fucking population of the goddamn USA. Like, I mean, I mean, it, 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 it just, it just, and again, that's why it's incredible that this is a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, but I, I'm, I'm tapped out. I'm as well. We've given it enough talking as it deserves, which is very little. Well. The topic deserves a lot. He deserves very little. Yeah, hopefully that's the last time we're saying that dude's name for the rest of our lives. But I already forgot see. it. I had to Google it before we started talking about it, make sure I got it right, because I didn't even want to think about this dude. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. All right. Um, well, if you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at JuicingPod. If you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And uh, until Monday. Y'all have a good one. Bye.